0: When we think of the accounts in scripture, when we come to the word of God, of those that are recorded for us who were healed physically in one way or another, we perhaps think uh, very obviously of those that are recorded for us in the New Testament. We think of the blind and the lame that were healed. We think about how uh, men and women and children were raised from the dead. We Think about how the crippled were made to walk again, how the dumb were made to speak. We think of those accounts where uh, men and women possessed, where the devil had those devils and spirits cast out uh, from amongst them and uh, many occasions in the New Testament we can turn to in the life of Christ and indeed in the ministry of the apostles and the disciples of Christ of men and women that received a touch from God and were miraculously healed. There are specific accounts that we're given much detail about. There are others that are more general, references to multitudes being healed. But when we think of the healings, when we think of those accounts and events in Scripture, perhaps we do not as often think and associate them with the Old Testament as often as we do with the New. However, when we search the pages of Old Testament Scriptures, there are accounts of those that have been healed physically, miracles that were performed by God in the body, healing from sickness, healing from disease, miraculous touches from God that have cured sickness that were otherwise incurable to man. And one such account is uh, that of which we have read this evening. And this man called Naaman, Second Kings and chapter 5. This man, Naaman in so many ways is like so many today. There are physical details, there are things about his temporal life and his physical life that are given here about this man, and they are replicated, spiritually speaking, in the hearts and the lives and the attitudes and the souls of many throughout the world today. I'm sure as we go through this account tonight, as we look at the gospel message, that you will see yourself reflected, certainly in some aspects. And this man, Naaman, in the record, of what we have here recorded about his life. As with the miracles that are recorded in Scripture, there's always a spiritual lesson. And whilst here this account is dealing very much with the physical healing of this man, Naaman, it's dealing with uh, very much so physical condition of this man, yet it is not solely focusing on those things that are visible, but there's a spiritual lesson. There are spiritual lessons that the Spirit of God will teach us and instruct us from this healing of this man, Naaman. Notice with me in the first place this evening, the condition of Naaman. The condition of Naaman. We're given a lot of information about this man, Naaman, in the opening verse of Second Kings 5. The verse 1 says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he was also a mighty man in valour. But he was a leper. Now in many ways we're introduced to a man here who is an outstanding man. This man, Naaman, certainly had a lot going for him. His life seems to be going well. He has a lot to give thanks for. He certainly on the outward appearance initially has very little to complain about. The very little negative that we see here recorded about his life. Notice, firstly, his position. We're told in verse 1 that he was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a man who enjoyed a very privileged position. We don't know any details about how the man got to this position, but he was the general of the army of the king. We can make reasonable assumptions, perhaps at one stage, he would have been a serving soldier, serving his time on the battlefield with his comrades, perhaps involved in conflicts. He has proven himself, perhaps over many years, he has done the job well. He has been loyal. He has been dependable. He has served his time. He has impressed those in authority over him. And eventually, here as we're introduced to him in Second Kings 5, he has earned the position of being the captain. He has worked his way up to being the general of the host of the king himself, the head of the king's army. This was one of the greatest positions that any man, certainly in the military, could have held. It would have brought with it a great respect, a great honor, a great responsibility, no doubt also a very great reward. This man would have enjoyed a lot of privilege. I would suggest and think that he would have been paid well. He would have been well known. He would have been prominent. He certainly was in an office of high standing. Of course, there are many like that in the world today, not just in military circles, but generally speaking. There are those that have worked their way up in life They have maybe started at the bottom, they have proved themselves, they have worked hard, they have dedicated all that they have, their energy, their finances, into their career, into their business, and they occupy a high office. They're in a prominent role. They're at the top of their job. They are enjoying the many privileges that come with the hard work that they have put in. Of course, our motivation in life as the people of God is not primarily to be getting The top job and to be earning as much as we can and to be in the highest position, but it is a biblical principle to work hard. Colossians 3:23, written in the context of servants obeying their masters, says this: "And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men." There's to be a work ethic. Proverbs 12:25 tells us that the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse. To labor, there are those that are unwilling to work for the things that they desire and they need. In many ways today, we live in an age where many do not want to work. They want everything handed to them on a plate. The so-called Protestant work ethic is very hard to find. But here, it's a biblical principle to work. And dear child of God, may we not be seen as those in the workplace that are the slackers, those that don't put in the effort. But this man, Naaman, certainly he worked hard. He was in a high position. He was the general, the commander, the captain of the army of the king. But not only his position, but we see his praise. His praise. We're told in verse 1 that Naaman was a great man with his master. His master here may have been the king, or maybe perhaps there was another rank in between him and the king. But regardless of who it was, he was highly esteemed by his master. He had won, he had earned. Through his work, he was entitled to the praise of his master. He was a faithful and a committed servant. He did his job well. It earned him praise from those around him. This man, Naaman, was liked. He was popular. It brought him respect and honor. Not only did he have a high position in life, general of the army, but he had the praise of those to go around him with them. Sometimes when men and women get into prominent positions in society, in their careers, and politics, maybe even sometimes in the church, their true character begins to come out. Oh, when competing for position, they will tell you what they want to hear. They will do whatever needs to be done. They will seek to please the masses. And when they get the possession, they enter into that high office, that Position of responsibility, it's as if so often they have a personality change and they become somebody else. They often lose the praise and the respect of those around them. They reveal their incompetence for the job, but not so with this man, Naaman. He lived up to the position. He lived up to the type of character that was required for this position. He impressed his master. He was fit for the job. And he won the praise of his seniors. He was held in high esteem. Thirdly, we see Naaman's principles. We learn in verse 1 that Naaman is described here as honorable. He was respected. He was honored. Not only by the king, but by all ranks and decrees, by all the people around him, no doubt as well in society, those that he lived amongst. He was an honorable man. He is A man who has won the honor of those around him. Now, this doesn't happen with a man who has loose principles. That honor will never be earned by those who are deceitful. That honor will never be earned by those who backstab, those who are disrespectful, those who are not true to their word, those who do not treat others with fairness and respect. But here is a man, and he is a man of good principles. He treated people well. He was what we could call tonight as good living. He treated those with respect and fairness. He lived a life which was in many ways honorable and respectable. Dear child of God, what a reminder it is to us that we're to be honorable in the workplace, we're to be honorable in the home, we're to be honorable in the place that God has brought us to. We ought to be living out our godly principles. Many Christians today sadly who are viewed by the world as being the opposite. They're not honorable. They're dishonest. They do not respect others. But here's a man, and he was living by his principles. He was well respected. He was good living. We see his position. We see his praise. We see his principles then. We also see his power here because verse 1 tells us that he was a mighty man in valor. He was a courageous man. He was a brave man. The word used in the original there, for valor can point to a force, whether off a man or by using a means or by resources. Naaman was a powerful man. He was powerful in many ways. He was in charge of an army. He had courage. He was powerful in his social standing. He had wealth. He had possessions. He was uh, powerful in the sense that he had the ear of the king. He was honored. He was respected. And all in all, he was a very powerful man in the day and age in which he lived. And so we begin to get a little bit of a picture of this man, Naaman. He was a man doing well for himself. He was a man who was in a high position, a man well respected. He was a man who had much praise from those around him. He uh, was a man with much power, a man with great possessions, a man uh, when looking on through the eyes of the world, perhaps even a good morals. He would no doubt have been the envy of many. Many would have strived just to be like this man. To end up in the position he was in. To be honored and respected as he was. Certainly from a human perspective, in the eyes of men, this man, Naaman, he was an outstanding man. He was a man worthy to look up to. A man worthy of honor. And in many ways, he was an example to those around him. It's so much going for him. But then we see in terms of his condition, fifthly, that he had a problem. He had a problem. The end of verse 1 says, after telling us all these wonderful things about this man, and it says, but he was a leper. That word, but, such a small word and yet so important. We come across its use many times in Scripture signifies a change in narrative. Here we're being told about all that this man has going for him. He is an outstanding man. He's a man doing well in his career, a man with respect and honor, a man of good principles, but he was a leper. Overshadowing all these characteristics, overshadowing all these privileges, all these rights that he had, he had a great problem of leprosy. And it was a great problem. Leprosy in these times really was was a death sentence. There was no cure. There was nothing really that could be done for this disease. Further to that, lepers would be cast out from main society. They would be sent in outside the settlements into their own little camp. They would live there because people feared that they would catch this disease. And they became outcasts. They became the out and outs of society. They were labeled as unclean. There was nothing could be done for them. They were hopeless. They were useless in the eyes of civilization. And even though Naaman had this position, even though he enjoyed, oh, so much praise and honor from those around him, even though he had so much power in his hands, yet he couldn't prevent himself from getting this disease, and he certainly couldn't do anything to cure it. He was facing being outcast. He was facing losing his wealth, losing his position, losing his honor and his praise and his title, and ultimately losing his life. And he was in a desperate and concerning situation. When we think about leprosy, of course, in Scripture, time and time again, it is used as a picture of a disease that plagues and mars the souls of men, the disease of sin. It's a terrible condition. It's a condition that has gripped the hearts of all that enter into the scene of time, all that descend from Adam in this human race. It's a terrible condition that has gripped all of our hearts, a condition into which we're born. Scripture tells us that we're born in sin. We're shapen in iniquity. We have fallen short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And you might be like Naaman tonight in many respects. You might have... Uh, So much going well for you in life, you might have a high position in your career, you might be at the top of your game, you might have much honour and respect from those in your community, you may have a lot of power in your hands, you might be good living, you might be honourable, and as others look from the outside, perhaps you're an envy, perhaps they want to be like you, you're looked up to, you're somebody who's very successful and you have much in this world's things going for you yet underneath it all, you've a terrible problem. Your heart, your soul is marred and tainted and corrupted with sin. And this but that we're revealed to here regarding Naaman at the end of verse number one, it's a but that applies to you tonight. You're respected, you're good living, you're wealthy, you come to church, you've been baptized, you've been christened. But you're a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. Just as this leprosy of Naaman was going to have him cast from society, just as this leprosy would ultimately take his life, so too it is with sin. For tonight, dear friend, your sin has cut you off from God. Tonight you're a rebel to God. Tonight you're an outcast of God. Tonight you're an enemy of God. You're an enemy to the gospel. You've been cut off from the presence of God. Tonight you're under his wrath and condemnation and you're heading to a lost sinner's hell. You're heading to that day when you will stand before God as your judge and God will cast you from his presence, not just for that moment, but for all eternity. Naaman's life seemed to be going so well. There was a problem that was going to bring death. And all might be going well for you tonight. In the outward appearance, you might be reaching all your ambitions and all your desires. You might be reaching all the heights that you wanted to in this scene of time. And you're standing high above all those around you and everything seems to be going so smoothly. You've been chasing your dreams and all seems to have been so achievable and you've accomplished so much in life and you're doing well for yourself and you're feeling good about yourself tonight and you can look at yourself and say, well, I've done a good job and yet tonight you suffer from this great problem of sin. Tonight, underneath it all, overshadowing all that you have done is this great problem of the curse of sin. And it carries with it this death sentence for the wages of sin is death. Just as Naaman, in spite of all that he had and all that he was, there was nothing he could do to cure himself. And so too it is with you tonight, friend. All the money you have, all the reputation that might be yours. All your church attendance will not fix or cure your sin, sick soul, in spite of how it appears in the outward setting. You're heading to that lost sinner's hell. This man, Naaman, he was a man of position. He was a man of power, but he was a man with a great problem. He was a leper. The condition of Naaman. Notice, secondly, tonight, the cure for Naaman. You see, although Naaman here is in a very desperate condition, a helpless condition, humanly speaking, yet there was a cure for him. Notice, firstly here, the messenger in this cure. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Second Kings chapter 5. It says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies, and it brought away, captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria for he would recover him off his leprosy. Naaman, even with his possession and his power, he wasn't, a, he wasn't aware of any cure for leprosy. Naaman didn't really know what to do, and so there had to be a messenger that would come and deliver the message. That would come and tell him of a remedy. That would come and tell him that there was a cure for his condition. We're introduced to that messenger here in these verses 2 and 3. She's just a little maid she has been carried, captured out of the land of Israel. She became the servant of Naaman's wife. There are a few things that stand out about this messenger. Firstly, she was a girl. She was a slave. She wasn't some well-known prominent character. This was a little humble slave girl. Girl carried away captive during battle. And she now was waiting on Naaman's wife, just a servant girl. In the eyes of the world, she was a nobody. She was unknown. She was insignificant. But then we learn about her faith because in verse 3, she says to Naaman's wife that she wished Naaman could be there where Elisha the prophet was in Samaria because he would have a cure. He'd be able to heal Naaman from his leprosy. Now, I don't believe for a moment here that this little maid's faith was placed In Elisha, but rather in God, who she believed could use him, his prophet. She had faith in God. She believed in the power of God. She knew, she believed in her heart and in her soul that God wrought miracles, that there was nothing impossible to God. She had faith that God could use his servant to deliver Naaman from this terrible disease. Then we must consider that this little maid, in all of her circumstances, she was used by God. You see, her captivity was not by chance. It was not a coincidence. She was in circumstances that no doubt for this little girl were frightening. They appeared to be no good. She was likely taken from her family She'd been brought to a foreign place into the home of strangers. She was working as a servant girl, a little maid. And yet God turned the whole situation around and used it for his glory. Used this little maid in a service. God had a plan and a purpose for the life of this little girl. She was God's messenger. She was used to deliver the message that Naaman could be healed. His leprosy could be cured. And dear believers, what an encouragement to our hearts tonight. Oh, may we be used as this little maid was used. We might be unknown. We might seem so insignificant in the world. We might be very young. We might be very old. We might be somewhere in the middle. But God can use us in a service. He can use us in whatever circumstances we're in, whatever gifts and skills we have, and he can use us for his glory and for the furtherance of his word. Used a little maid here to deliver a message of healing. And dear child of God, tonight isn't that what we're called to do? No matter who we are, no matter what we do, no matter what our circumstances, we're to deliver the message of the gospel, a message of spiritual healing to souls that are sin sick souls that are fleeing into a hell that is eternal, a hell that is full of torment as a result of their sin, and we're to bring the message of deliverance. And praise God tonight that God is pleased to use his people. The messenger in the cure. Secondly, think about the message that was in this cure. Naaman was told of what the maid had said. The king of Syria then sent a letter to the king of Israel, he explained what was happening and that Naaman was going to come and to find a cure for his leprosy. Of course, we learned that the king of Israel was annoyed. He knew that he could do nothing to cure this man. He thought he was going to be made a fool out of. man sent to him. He could do nothing with him. He didn't know how to cure him from his leprosy. And then Elisha heard that the king was annoyed and, and so he sent for Elisha. Naaman came to the house of Elisha and there the message was delivered. What a message it was. Notice the requirement in the message. Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times to receive this cure. Naaman was told here that he was to go and wash in the Jordan. Dear friends, tonight there is a cure for your sin sick soul. There is a way that your sins can be forgiven. There is a way that you can be removed from the path that is leading to eternal destruction, to be brought into peace with God, to bring you onto that path that leads to that eternal home in heaven. But you must be washed, not physically, but spiritually. You must be cleansed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Your soul must be cleaned and cleansed from its sin. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. Scripture teaches us that. Christ came to do that very thing. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. He became the substitute of sinful men and women. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't die for any sin of his own. He didn't go to the cross to satisfy God's justice for any sin that he had committed, for he knew no sin. But He went and bore the punishment for the sin of others took the wrath of God, not for anything that he had done, but for what sinful men and women had done. Those who repent of their sin, those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, their souls are washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You become pure and whole in the sight of God. Your sins are forgiven. Christ takes the punishment for you. Christ pays the price to set you free from your sins. And if you want to be healed tonight, if you want to be saved, if you want to know peace with God, if you want to escape eternal punishment from sin, then you must come to Christ and be cleansed and be cleaned. Naaman was told to go and to wash. In the Jordan, he was told to wash here seven times, which is significant. The number in Scripture often indicates completion, something complete something that has been perfected. Reminds us that Christ's sacrifice for sin, it has been completed. Tonight, dear friend, it is all you need. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to work out our own salvation. All that our soul needs is found in Jesus Christ alone this evening. The work is done. His sacrifice is perfect. It has been accepted by God. That's why on the cross he cried out, it is finished. The work was done. Salvation had been purchased, and for those who repent of their sin and flee to Christ, their souls are saved for all eternity. Christ has completed the work of salvation. Christ has paid the price. It's not your church attendance that will save. It's not your baptism. It's not anything else that you can do. It's all you need tonight is in Christ. He has paid the price. He has done it all. Requirement was to wash. Notice secondly, the reward. In this message, verse 10, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. If Naaman did what he was instructed to do here, if he would go and wash in the Jordan seven times, then the promise came to him that he would be cured. His leprosy would be gone. His skin would be new. He would be cleansed. He would be purified. He would be healed from this terrible disease, a disease that otherwise was incurable. What a picture we have of when the sinner comes and trusts in Christ for salvation, they become a new creature in Jesus Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The soul that once was marred and tainted, just as Naaman's skin was marred and tainted, And corrupted and scarred by leprosy. Our souls and hearts that once were marred and tainted and polluted with sin. They will be cleansed. They will be cleaned. They will be purified. The soul will now stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The old things are gone and all has become new. There's a wonderful miracle. There's that blessed promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. O sinner, tonight come. That Jesus Christ come and wash in his precious blood. Come and receive that great promise of sins forgiven. Notice thirdly here then the response to this message. You would think that Naaman would be delighted to have a cure. But look at what we read in verses 11 and 12. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. And strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana far power rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman was angry here. Naaman rejected the cure. Why? This man had an incurable disease. This man had a death sentence. He was about to lose all that he had. He's told of a wonderful cure, and yet he rejects it. Why? Well, firstly, it wasn't going to be done in the way that he thought it would be done. You Notice what Naaman said there in verse 11. He said, behold, I thought, I thought, he thought the prophet of God would put his hand on his leprosy and he'd be healed. He was looking for dramatics. He was looking for it to be done in his way. But not only that, he thought that other ways would be better. He speaks there of the rivers of Damascus, how they would have better waters. He thought that his leprosy would be cured better by going somewhere else, by doing something else, by coming his own way to receive the cure. And you know many respond to the gospel just like that. They're told of their need of Christ. They're told of their need of salvation. They're told that they can't save themselves. They're told of the terrible consequences of rejecting Christ and yet they leave the house of God and they reject the salvation that's offered. They think they know better. They think they can be saved some other way. Their good works, their tradition, their good behavior, their church attendance. And though the word of God clearly tells us that Christ It's the way, the truth, and the life. That no man cometh unto the Father but by Christ. Yet many still think that they can do it their way. They reject the message of the gospel. They respond as Naaman responded here in verse 11. behold, I thought. Many have entered into eternity thinking that they can save themselves. And they've rejected Jesus Christ, they've rejected the message of the gospel, they've been depending on something that they think they've had to offer, and tonight they're in the flames of hell. Don't reject the message of the gospel, don't reject the invitation that God gives through Jesus Christ. You can't do it your way. There are not many or multiple ways to God. There is one way, and that one way is Christ alone. Do not reject Christ tonight. Repent of your sin and come to Him. As your own personal Savior, the messenger. Message, notice finally, tonight the miracle in this cure. Naaman's servants talk sense to Naaman. They convinced him to go and to do what was required of him in the wash. In the Jordan, look at verse number 14, Then went he down and dipped themselves seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Wonderful miracle took place. As Naaman washed himself there seven times in the Jordan, we learn that his flesh became new. He was healed, he was cleansed. The same is true spiritually regarding the soul that trusts in Christ. They are born again by the Spirit of God. They're given new life. Life that's eternal. Life that's abundant. Their souls are cleansed in the blood of Christ. Their sins are forgiven. They're set free from the bondage of their sin. They become uh, into the state of peace with God. They're adopted into God's family and into God's fold. There's this wonderful miracle that takes place in the soul of the one who trusts in Christ. And as Naaman did as the word of the Lord had told him to do here, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. It was as if he was born again. So too it is tonight for the soul that trusts in Jesus Christ. Oh, tonight Christ is the only cure for your sin. Christ is a complete cure. He's a perfect cure. He's a sure cure. He's an eternal cure. You might have, as Naaman did, so much going for you in this life. You might be successful in everything your hand touches. Yet underneath it all, you're plagued and you're marred and you're corrupted with sin. And dear friend, tonight you can do nothing about it yourself. Come to Jesus Christ. I exhort you tonight to flee the wrath that is to come. Flee from eternal judgment and punishment. Come to that salvation that is not found in the things of the world. It's not found in church or family. It's not found in works. It's not found in your business, your career, your money, your lifestyle. It's found in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Naaman did as the man of God had told him to do. And he came forth from those waters a new man. A man cured, a man healed, a man with new life. A man in the physical sense and terms of his skin, in many ways was born again. And oh, what a greater work it is when the soul comes to Christ and is born of the Spirit of God. Would you come to Christ tonight? Would you place your faith and trust in him? Would you flee? In the wrath of God, would you leave your good works behind and acknowledge tonight that Christ is the only answer, that Christ is the only cure, and you cast yourself at his feet this evening and trust in him for the salvation of your precious soul. Let us bow in a word of prayer, please. Our eternal heavenly Father, we thank thee afresh this evening for the message of the cross. We so often must confess that in many aspects of life we think we know better. On Father, how in our sinful state, with our eyes unopened, that we think the same. We think we can work out our own salvation. We think if we do it our way that everything will work out okay. And that God will accept us and he'll not cast us off and yet we're reminded no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. Father, we rejoice tonight in that cure, that perfect cure, the complete cure, that only cure that is found in thy dear Son whom you sent to this earth. Father, we plead tonight that man women and young people would have their eyes opened to the folly of their good works, to the folly of depending on anything that is not Christ. Father, we plead this evening that many souls would come by the knee before Christ as their Lord and Savior to throw themselves upon him in faith and to trust in him for the salvation of their souls. We pray you'll write thy word upon our hearts be pleased to use it tonight for the furtherance of thy kingdom to fulfill thy plan and thy purpose bring each one to your homes in safety be with us throughout this incoming week give us the grace and the strength the help we need for whatever we might have to face and father bring us back again to gather safely in thy house in the days that lie ahead for it's in our saviour's precious and worthy name we ask amen